Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Anybody know who Willie Lynch was? Anybody? Raise your hand. He was a vicious slave owner in the West Indies. The slave masters in the colony of Virginia were having trouble controlling their slaves, so they sent for Mr. Lynch to teach them his methods. Keep the slave physically strong, but psychologically weak and dependent on the slave master. Keep the body, take the mind. I and every other professor on this campus are here to help you to find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. Um, your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. We also have one of my favorite returning guest, Maria Richards, on with us this morning. How are both of you queens doing this morning? It's beautiful here in the ATL. Hope the weather is beautiful wherever you may be, Maria, but thank you for being on with me this morning for this mental dialogue discussion. I'm highly excited about it is one of the questions that America's afraid to ask, but we're going to ask it. How are you ladies doing? Very well. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, absolutely, and um, Latrice, again, you've been in the saddle with me plenty of times. Maria, you've done it a couple times. Again, glad to have you on, Queen. Um, to go ahead and get this thing started as a guest, I'll let you give a little bit of um, your background before we break out this morning's discussion question, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a content marketer and a blogger. And I've been doing that since 2012, started out freelance. I was blogging for the Your Black World Network for several years. And now I'm the owner of The Black Investor, which is going to launch in June 2020. Hey, looking forward to it. Thank you again for being on. I promoted you as a critical thinker. Uh, I think those are lacking in the world today, so that's how I, I promoted you uh, leading <laughs> up to this morning's discussion. I don't know if you saw that on the flyer or not. And then, again, without further ado, Latrice, uh, you were pretty much almost my regular co-host as much as I asked you to do this, uh, Queen, if you will. Say hello to all the truth seekers out there and give people your background in reference to this morning's discussion as well. Good morning. Happy to be here again. I am a diversity and inclusion consultant, and I love all things related to diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. And so when um, when I heard this topic, I was excited to be a part of it. Uh, absolutely. Actually, that's a perfect segue into how we typically like to open. So this morning's discussion question, to let the cat out the bag, is simply, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Let me say it again. Should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? So, Latrice, I'll run right back to you. Uh, when you heard, again, you said, hey, when you heard this topic, you were excited, um, as I always like to do at this time. If you can recall, when you heard the title itself, can you recall your very initial thought? As I always say, nothing drawn, nothing necessarily drawn out, just that initial thought when you heard the question. What did you think? 
So at first I thought, heck yeah, we need to. And then I thought, but part of your work title is inclusion. And then I had a third thought, well, it's okay to be who you are and love your culture and be who you are in your culture without assimilating into other um, culture. And so I came back to my, heck yeah, we need to. <laughs> hey, I love it. You was able to figure out your conundrum because I think quite often in America, many of us do find ourselves sometimes in that quandary, if you will. Uh, Maria, if you can recall, again, that initial thought, again, we're going to get into the full thoughts on it as the show goes on, but just that initial thought when you heard the question itself, can you recall what was your initial thought? So my initial thought was really a, a blog post um, that I had written up many years ago in which it said that black children who have black pride perform well academically, um, or maybe I shouldn't say well, but they had a higher performance academically than those who don't have a sense of black pride. So, of course, you know, my answer, my initial answer to that question internally was yes. Uh, But then my follow-up after I reflected on the blog post that I had written years ago was, well, how are we going to define whiteness? Because I know that in our community some people would consider whiteness to be wearing hair weaves, which I don't think that is the case. So those were a couple of my thoughts. Hey, I love it. Um, So it brought you back to, um, again, you are quite the critical thinker, so very interested in um, some of the things that maybe, in a sense, came out of that. And absolutely, that's where it matters the most, if I could even even segue into that, the idea of how we are raising this next generation. So while we must, in a sense, deal with this conundrum ourselves, if it is that for some people, uh, like yourself, Latrice, I'm definitely in a space where I'm absolutely A-OK with, in a sense, loving myself uh, from a cultural standpoint, from a even a racial standpoint, uh, even given that it is a social construct, but it is, unfortunately that perception is a reality today, if you will. So definitely understand it from that perspective. But we are going to open up the phone lines and get people's perspectives on this. The one thing that I'm going to say, um, and again, I've, and this was something that was asked during the week as I was promoting this, the idea of, in a sense, how do you define whiteness? And I'll maybe let you ladies kind of get into some of that. But the one thing that I would like to say, um, just for those that's listening, to give maybe some foundation and some context, this conversation will not simply be about having our own. I, I, I really want to kind of just put that in there foundation. We're going to go deeper than that. There's going to be nuance that we're going to do with discussion. Again, we are the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I absolutely have the smartest audience in all of radio, so I'm pretty sure if they call in, they will understand that. But I just want to just throw it out in, that in context, again, as vague as the term whiteness can be, I just want to under, want people to understand in finding ourselves, if that's what we agree that we should do. Again, if you disagree, no problem. Uh, but with that said, this conversation is about much more than having our own, even though that context will come up um, in this show as well. We actually got a caller trying to get in early. Um, it's early enough right before the break. I might go ahead and just get a thought real quick. I typically don't let them in this early, but we got a little few couple minutes, so let me see if I can get a quick thought in before the actual first break. All right, 217, last 3009. Uh, looks like you're ready to jump in early. We've got a couple minutes before we go to break, so I'll get your initial thought if we have to get you back on. There's no problem, but if you will, tell us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm from central Illinois, and I have been to Africa two times. 
on tours uh, saving uh, African Christians in Central Africa from Boko Haram. And my whole thing is, uh, it's not, I mean, the whiteness, blackness thing, that, that only exists in, like, the Western world. Um, Africanness and Western blackness is not the same thing. Does that make sense to you, sir? Absolutely. I'm following you completely. Go ahead with your thought. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. Go ahead. Uh, my, no, my thought is my thought is simply uh, when when you're going back to the old world, right? Especially if you're in America, you're talking about the old world. Everyone's talking about you know whites in Europe and Asians in Asia and black people from Africa. We don't we can't relate to any of the stuff that's happening over there when we're over here. We get a little bit uh, jaded by you know the stuff that we have over in America. So mm-hmm. when <laughs> When we're talking about should we be more <coughs> sorry should we be more towards any individual culture? It doesn't make any sense in America. Hey, now those are wonderful thoughts. I think you're giving some context. I actually would love to get uh, my guest thoughts on it again. We're right before the break. Let me see if I can get a quick. Uh, yeah, we, what we'll do? We're gonna do this, um, Josh. Thank you for the call. Excellent points. We'll peel back um, some of you, what you said, and you probably will be shocked. It's, it's per- perfect how the universe is working. The cut that I'll have after the break will speak to even just some of maybe your work, um, even in the continent, if you will, just from a perspective that we have to discuss within our culture. But thank you so much for the three for the three cents this morning. It was excellent. Thanks a lot for the call. Thanks. Uh, great call right there. Let's go ahead and get to this first break and maybe peel back some of what Josh had to say as well as what y'all ladies here in the cut. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Big Sis Media Group is a full-service design agency with tools available to help clients communicate with audiences through visual and digital media. So what exactly does that mean? You need graphic design? Call Big Sis Media. You need web design? Call Big Sis Media. You need audio or video production? Call Big Sis Media. You need a branded strategy for your business? Call Big Sis Media. Damn, they do everything, don't they? Nope, even better. They're professionals. Whatever service you need, they do a consultation, send over a contract with a deadline, and meet that deadline. A true one-stop shop for all your digital and media needs, all at an affordable price. What's their website and phone number? BigSysMediaGroup.com. 404-465-4348. Again, that's BigSysMediaGroup.com. Dot com. Call them at 404-465-4348. The white Jesus, white God imagery has literally resulted in death. That's something folks ought to deal with. But the difference is that the power of others to make Jesus or to make Christ as they view him has never come close to the power of the European power to make Jesus white. In other words, black folks can think Jesus is black and view Christ as black, but at the end of the day, the image that has been used to dominate Christianity in this world and on this planet is the white image. So therefore, you can believe, you, you can think Jesus looks like whatever you want or that Christ looks like whatever you want. Ultimately, though, there is such a thing as power and it's not equitable. And so if certain people have been able to impose their image of the Christ, of the Savior on others, or God, or Adam and Eve, 
believe the first human beings ostensibly as white people to believe that that doesn't have an effect is to believe that advertising doesn't have an effect it's to okay. believe that companies that spend billions of dollars don't actually sell you stuff based on the images they use which is nonsense welcome back to the mr dialogue talk show i'm your host Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Our special guest is Maria Richards, as we hear a cut from Tim Wise. Again, I think a nice little segue from what Josh brought to the table, uh, to Josh's credit, at least the way I heard him, uh, in the work that he's doing. Sounds like it is some type of mission work. Uh, he clearly understood, at least in my opinion, uh, in his trips, to Africa versus how we see things in Western society, he definitely made the distinction between the, the idea of whiteness being a Western thing versus, in a sense, it not being something you, in a sense, he, he saw in Africa, if you will. But I will say the reality to even what Tim Wise is mentioning, we also know how prevalent, quote-unquote, white Jesus is throughout the continent and even so in the homeland of Africa, if you will, um, so, um, Maria, I'll just kind of let you jump in as you hear that cut from Tim Wise. I think it's a place that we have to start because if we think about our ancestors being brought to this country, if you will, or to the the West, if you will, we know that that imagery played a huge role in some, in my opinion, some of what we're still continue, contending with in 2020 how it was used um, with our ancestors, if you will. Any thoughts on that, Queen, if you will? Actually, I think Maria may have dropped. Let me get her back in. Let's see here. Right, there, there she goes. I'm actually All right, here. Queen, you're live. Yeah, we're, you're live. Okay, Queen. Go perfect. Ahead. Sorry thank about that. you. No, it's okay. Thank you. Um, so just to make sure I'm clear, I will be sharing remarks about what Josh said or what, what Tim said. Um, you can really respond to either one. I was just highlighting that I, I, it seemed to me that Josh seems to understand the distinction typically that a lot of us mm -hmm. as Americans, as, as Americans, I heard him say, um, tend to not understand. I, seemed, I was just pointing out that he seemed to understand that typically uh, we don't quite understand that the concept of whiteness is mostly a Western thing that I was just giving mm -hmm. Josh credit for understanding it, but in bringing up Tim Wise's cut, I think that's ultimately a good starting point for this morning's discussion, um, if you will. So you can really address with, 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 with either one. I was just highlighting that I felt Tim showed a good distinction that I think a lot of Americans fail to have, in my personal opinion. Go ahead, Queen. Okay. So um, I've had the honor and privilege of traveling to the continent twice. Um, I've only been to South Africa and Botswana and to Josh's point, I think it really just depends on where you travel on the continent because when I was in South Africa, I was actually very disappointed to see the deference that black people had towards white people in South Africa. Um, obviously, given the history of apartheid, although black people are the majority uh, in that country, again, there's still deference towards white people. So there were white people in positions of higher power. White people still overwhelmingly control the resources there. So... Uh, this notion that whiteness is more aligned with westernized ideology, I disagree with that. Um, I think whiteness okay. is, in fact, a global – I'm sorry, go ahead, Montoya. No, 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 I said okay. No, I was just, I was just saying okay. No, oh, please okay. continue. I'm sorry. Okay, no, it's okay. Um, 
So, yeah, I actually think uh, whiteness is actually, uh, I think it's a, a global uh, thing, actually, because even when you look into some of the Asian nations, um, and I'm just going to bring up one that comes to the top of mind. So, for example, in Japan or even China, like the lighter-skinned people are revered a certain way. Same thing with India. I have a lot of friends that live in India. The fair-skinned Indians are revered in a certain light versus those who have darker skin, which typically be the tend to be the poorer Indians. So um, I actually disagree with Josh on that, but I will agree with uh, his assertion that we as black Americans in particular are jaded. Uh, we bring our, you know, experiences here in America from the lens of uh, black Americans over into other countries, and so we do make some false assumptions oftentimes when we're traveling abroad. Um, I do agree with that, but whiteness is definitely, uh, the identity of whiteness is absolutely a global issue. No, absolutely, fair enough. Uh, Latrice, any thoughts that you can address Josh or even oh, the cut that you heard so from Oh, she was so in my head. I like Maria. She was so in my head. I was actually going in the same direction. Is that it, It's a global thing. I spent time working in the Philippines and um, the same dynamic that Maria mentioned exists there. As a matter of fact, many of their um, beauty products have skin whiteness in them. And my business partner that I was working with at the time, he he was balding in the top, and he wanted to go to go to see a plastic surgeon to see about having electrolysis so he wouldn't have to shave the hair on the sides. And when we walked into the plastic surgeon's office, I sat down immediately and took my book out, and Patrick signed in the receptionist looked past Patrick and wanted to know if I was there for a skin whitening consultation. Um, and that's very prevalent in Asia. So it's not just a westernized belief system. I work with colleagues in the UK, in, in Poland, in, in South Africa, and in Belgium, and these, these dynamics still exist. The lighter-skinned people still get the best opportunity, and they are revered the most. Nah, fair enough. Uh, we actually got another caller that wants to get in. Before we go to the caller, though, any thoughts, uh, again, with me even just starting this, this morning's show in particular, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness and hearing a Tim Wise who was on national TV, um, and he was doing it in reference to an uh, issue that came up about Santa Claus being white or black or whatever, and he personally made reference to uh, the idea of the power of Europeans to, in a sense, put that white image of Jesus in our heads. Uh, I think that's a great starting point. So, Maria, if you will, um, uh, any thoughts on that being the starting point for this morning's discussion, if you will? Thank, and and thank, let, me, let me thank Josh for his thoughts as well as y'all address that. But, again, that's, I wanted to start there because I think it's very necessary as we develop this discussion. Go ahead, Queen. Well, I mean, I definitely uh, agree with what Tim was saying. I mean, you know, I think it is so I think what they have done, um, they are masterful at manipulation and using media in particular to push forth um, the dominance, this this notion that they are dominant. And so I think it was I think it was brilliant actually. Uh, the marketer in me respects the fact that they literally took uh, the image and the story of what is supposed to be, you know, arguably the most powerful figure. And Montoya, of course, you know, I'm not religious at all, so I'm just speaking, generally speaking, I yeah, don't of course, believe in this stuff. Absolutely. But um, 
what is supposed to be arguably the most powerful being in the world of worlds and have made that individual white. I mean, it's amazing to me. Like, it's actually a very brilliant marketing technique, to be honest, um, because here it is, this, this thing, this person is not even supposed to be really human at all. It's supposed to be so powerful and so omnipresent that it's just a thing. It's an energy. It's a feeling. It's all of this. And yet they have humanized it into a white person. I mean, it is that's so brilliant to me. Uh, but it's unfortunate, obviously, because of the impact that it has had on our ability to not see that greatness, that uh, love, that uh, grace and all of that within ourselves. Um, we don't, we don't, we just don't see ourselves being powerful the way that uh, Jesus Christ is, right? We don't see that in ourselves. And, I, and when I say we, obviously, I mean everyone. But I think the sentiments collectively are that, you know, we have low self-esteem and we don't see that in ourselves. So I think that Tim's points were spot on. Uh, thank you for that, That's Latrice. Um, any, yeah, any thoughts? Um, as well, well, the one thing that I let me throw this out so we kind of give give you have you address this as well, Latrice. And so as I was watching that cut again, getting prepared for this show, it made me think of specifically in the African American community how the transition um, growing up in the South and going to church and things of that nature, but the transition of when you start questioning the idea of whether Jesus was white because you, a lot of us, I know I went through it. A lot of my friends, we go through that transition simply because as young, young kids, we were shown that image that everybody has in their head, if you will, that was, as, as you said, was a brilliant marketing tool, uh, Maria, if you will. And so going on with that image and you get old enough to kind of question and the transition that I typically see uh, a lot of people move to um, in trying to put it in their head. What does, God look like? What does Jesus like look like? And you get this term, well, Jesus' color don't matter. Like that's the that's the that's the that's the most we can go psychologically for a, for a lot of us, if you will. Any thoughts on that, Latrice? Because have you heard well, people kind of just kind of land right there to to in a sense feel comfortable with how they see God, if you will? Again, that's just a thought that I had about hearing that term. Well, Any I literally. I literally got the taste smacked out of my mouth by my grandmother because she actually gave a very similar response. And my, my reply to her was, well, if it doesn't matter, then why can't we have a black Jesus picture in our church? Um, and literally <laughs> she smacked the daylights out of me for questioning her. But I was that hmm. kid who questioned um, things around me. And I think that it was intentional what they did because if you look at it, even from a geographical perspective, if Jesus came from where they said he came from, then he was a dark-skinned individual. He was not a white person. And when you think about how they, um, how they um, forced their religion on our ancestors, it's no, it's no surprise that they accepted it the way that it was and that they continued to hand it down to us in the manner in which it was handed to them. So um, it's not surprising um, I think it's time that we wake up, and I do see an awakening happening, that people are moving away from the belief that white Jesus is their savior. And um, I just, I just, I would love to see it happening in much larger numbers. No, absolutely. I definitely think you don't see that image that many of us if, who, who may have grown up in church used to see it almost, at least for me in the South, I used to see that 
that white Jesus pictured in, a, in plenty of churches. Um, as I go back uh-huh. to some of my hometown areas, the churches seem, seemingly have moved away from it. But to speak to the psychology of it, there is still struggle. Again, my goal here is never to take anyone's God away from them. That is definitely not the discussion here. But in reference to this morning's discussion, it has to be spoke about from the standpoint that there is a mental struggle with how you see God because that image is still in my head, although I moved away, like Maria, from religion, if you will, personally, um, I still can't get that image out of my head. So that means, as Tim Y said, to think that that has no effect. It, you're playing you're playing yourself, and so it's something that had to be spoke about in reference to this morning's discussion. So, again, the starting point, and here's the other part to go even further. It's not simply how you see God, if you want to go deeper with it, you end up transposing in some cases, and I'm pretty sure our ancestors felt that, and I would even go as far as that there are some people who subconsciously are unaware of the fact that it also makes you see the white person, the white man, if you will, as God in a sense. So I think that eerily playing a role in the marketing, and we understand how you know, certain Bible verses, if you will, were manipulated in particular when it comes to the, the, the enslavement verses, if you will, and how they were used. And so it quite became necessary to see them as, as your master, quote, unquote, as your God subconsciously. I think that is the even deeper effect, if you will. Uh, I'll let either one of you ladies, if, you know, any thoughts on what I, what I just mentioned there, and we'll go to the caller um, uh after again, just if you have any thoughts about what I just mentioned, because again, on the deeper subconscious level, I think it also, in a sense, transposes the white man as God, if you will. Any thoughts on that? I think, from a psychological perspective, you're absolutely right because religion is one of those things that, um, when you think about it from a psychological level, it's not at the surface level. It's one of those things that's deeply entrenched in in our in who we are as an individual. And so when we have that deeply entrenched belief system and the face of that belief system is a white person, even as we try to make changes, it's still difficult to unconsciously replace that white face with a black face or with a darker skin face. Um, so I, I agree with what you said wholeheartedly. Uh, absolutely. I think even concessions in how, um, if you see groups get together and sometimes that consensus to put, you know, you know, it could be a mixed group, but the consensus that that white person should be leading, the subconscious aspects of that I think do fall from how we've seen God in the religion also has helped in social um, constructs, if you will. Let's go to the caller. Area code 443808, give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. My name is L, and I'm from Atlanta. Hey, what you got for for, for us, L? Thanks for the um, thanks for the call. Most black people are washed in whiteness or Eurocentrism, which simply means centering ourselves around all things white. It is so ingrained in most of us to the point where we misinterpret white mannerisms that we add flavor to, then believe it is black culture. For example, the language that we speak 
is a European language. Even if you speak Spanish, that's a European language. The names that we give children are mostly European. Our food combinations are mostly European. Our religious systems, mostly European or Arabic. Our clothing, mostly European. Even our wedding ceremonies, where they go, here comes the bride, all dressed in white. The entire setup of most black weddings are renditions of white wedding culture. So the question for me is, how much of ourselves do we want to regain? For me, the answer begins and ends with changing our way of thinking, our mind, psychology. After that, everything will become clearer and everything will find its place. My name is L, and that's my three cents. An amazing three cents. Once again, I said I have the smartest audience in all of radio. Maria, we got about a minute before the break. Any thoughts about L's amazing three cents, in my personal opinion? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, first of all, L, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I do, I, I agree with uh, some of the things that he said. I think one thing that, that kind of gives me pause is this notion that because um, we are in, ingrained in whiteness. We don't have our own culture or everything that has come, everything that we claim as our own is really white. I disagree with that. Um, I think that, I mean, quite obviously, as the saying goes, um, there's nothing new under the sun. So, sure, we can say maybe some of these origins came from whiteness, if you will, but um, we can still make things our own. I don't really think that we have to attribute every single thing uh, that we claim as, as part of our culture. I don't feel like we have to attribute all of that to whiteness. So that's one area that gave me pause. But overall, I totally agree with what he was saying, and I respect his opinion. Now, fair enough. Perfect timing. We're up against the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is what you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Leprosy. Now, we have a second symptom. The second symptom of pathology was gender. Black females were perceived to be irreligious, lustful, and immoderate. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? Let's take a look at that. We need to really take a look at this one because I have a whole chapter on rape. I can't even get close to what that did to me. There were over, and this is, comes out of a social workbook. In a social workbook, it states that there were over 600,000 mixed-race babies born in the mid-1800s based on the census. Now, this was during miscegenation. That means it's illegal to marry. So who was sneaking out back and who was raping whom? We have numbers. Young girls rarely made it to their teens before they were raped. But let's put that in perspective of social science. Now, I want to get into that, to the, the fact that we were lustful, because then you see it's their fault, isn't it? 
Surely I raped them, but didn't they deserve it? Now we need evidence of how we know they're lustful and immoderate and immoral. Here we go. Their protruding buttocks and genitals were offered as physical evidence of their pathology. Anybody up there with a big butt? Anybody with a big butt out here? There you have it, you slut. It's incredulous, isn't it? It's hard for you to even believe it. We see it's in books. And a criminally insane right. But what was so amazing, I want to get right, let's get right up with that one. Because the butt thing really threw me off. Because everybody wants that butt now, don't they? Yeah. J-Lo made it, gave us all permission to first have the butt. And it's an African butt, don't get confused about it. And it's a butt they couldn't keep their hands off of. Now they're injecting the butt now. They're putting butts in pants. They're making underwear with a butt in In addition to that, injecting the lips with collagen, locking the hair, and telling you the whole time you're ugly. Still looking for the safest tan. Isn't that amazing? And the sad thing about it is we believe we're ugly. Case in point, 2006. Oh, yeah, she was cute. She had good hair. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she had good hair. And, oh, he was, oh, he was fine. He was light-skinned. Yeah. <laughs> Look at a music video. Same girl, isn't it? Might as well just take him over and over again, tragic mulatto. <laughs> Are you following me? I have people say, oh, Joy, are you going natural? Going natural? <laughs> I mean, you even have black people. Well, wow, she's still, you must, she's militant. <laughs> and that's because I actually wear my hair the way it grows out of my head. Mm -hmm. Anybody white in here? Everybody goes, you're not going to keep it like that, are you? You're going to perm it or something, aren't you? You're not going to wear it like that, right? I can see your roots, girl. <laughs> white people don't do that to white people. We have pathologized what is naturally us. And when we would want to assault or insult, you black, big lit, nappy head, stay with me. Mm -hmm. You see, that's called post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm -hmm. That's what that looks like. And then white people go, well, no wonder, look at that. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Our special guest is Maria Richards. It's impossible to do this morning's discussion without a, a, a full context from Dr. Joy DeGru, uh, the author of Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, as she eerily breaks down how our sisters were seen in the mid-1800s. Sounds too much like today, if you will, and she breaks down how we pathologized ourselves, in a sense, I would say, to whiteness to the degree that not only do we believe it, but we use it to harm ourselves in daily conversations. I will say in 2020, I think our culture is starting to improve on that. Uh, I think we've, to, to, a, to, a, to a definitely to a degree based on um, in, when I was young, everything she said felt so true. Again, I think we're improving on it, um, but again, you cannot have this conversation without a Dr. Joy 
the guru, if you will. So, uh, Latrice, uh, just please jump in where you fit in, whatever makes sense. Um, um. All right, well, you can go ahead on with Maria. Um, let her come in, then I'll come in after that. I'm I'm writing my thoughts now. <laughs> okay, no problem. You're good. You're good, Queen. Now, we, yeah, we, we get through this thing. Uh, Maria, any thoughts? Again, no way to do this show without bringing in Dr. DeGru as part of this context. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that resonated with me as I listened to her is, how white people are really good at gaslighting, right? The gaslight. So it's like, oh, look at you guys. You're so unattractive. You know, you're dumb. You're three-fifths human. But we want you to breastfeed our babies, right? I mean, it's just this very weird, um, like, personality disorder that it seems that they had or have. Um, and Again, I want to make sure that I'm not – that, I, that people understand I am not generalizing all white people, but more specifically those who believed in and practiced the enslavement of other human beings and firmly um, buy into the oppression of someone just because of the color of their skin. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, what she said, you know, that was, those were my initial thoughts that came to mind. It's just the irony of them, how they tend to demean and dismiss and discredit everything about us and then turn around and leverage that for their own benefit and gain. So it's just a very weird, uh, it's a very weird dynamic that we've had with these people. And, yeah, those are just some of my initial thoughts that come to mind after listening to that. I'm going to tell you how weird it goes. And and let me even mention this because as we go further, um, again, the question is should we reorient ourselves from whiteness to the degree that, as this conversation goes on, again, having to bring in the, the things that Dr. DeGru said, I just want to mention as we go further, I, I definitely wanted to be from our perspective of what we need to do, but you're absolutely right. Gaslighting to the point, to the point of think about the stat that she gave from the mid-1800s that there were 600,000 mixed-race babies born. Here's how far it goes, again, not to make this show, because we have to think of, do this show from our perspective, not to make this show about them, if you will, but you think about that 600,000 mixed-race babies that were born, they turned around and put their flesh and blood in, in enslaved their flesh, their flesh and blood as well. So it goes beyond weird, if you will, if you even think about that number. Um, Latrice, any thoughts, again, about what Maria or Dr. Begu had to say? Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that they hate us, but they love our culture. Um, when you think about the Kardashians who cornrows were ghetto until they started wearing them, um, when you think about how, who is the designer, Mark Jacobs, tried to give Corn Rose, give the credit to what's the white chick who did the movie in the 70s, um, when he put it in his design to avoid giving black women the credit for Corn Rose. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a troubling paradigm in this country because of how black people are viewed, even amongst our own um, because we we carry that belief system that it's ghetto. If a, if a black woman has colored hair, pink hair, purple hair, it's ghetto. But if a white woman has it, it's trendy. And we see that 
that dynamic carried out interracially. Um, so it's it, 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 the more I think about it, it's so troubling how um, colonialism destroyed the black psyche to really have a thought for itself. So many of us, and I was a part of this, felt that if I didn't behave a certain way, if I didn't wear my hair a certain way, then I wouldn't fit in, I wouldn't be successful, I wouldn't be accepted. And while I've thrown most of that away, I still struggle sometimes with it. We pass that belief system on to our kids and our kids' kids, and um, we still see it, particularly now on social media. Um, I remember growing up, my, my mother would tell me, I have a loud, gregarious laugh, and my mother would tell me that ladies don't laugh that way. And she hated my laugh. But the more I learned about the African culture, we are a gregarious people. And having a gregarious mm-hmm. laugh is symbolic of that. But mm-hmm. that was, you know, my mom and my grandmother tried to take that away from me growing up because it didn't fit in with white standards. Um, so we have a responsibility to rebuild that in our, in, in, in our, in our community, to rebuild the belief system that, we don't have to fit in. It's okay. But we have to walk the line because we operate in a white society. And so how do we do that? How do we find the balance where we're able to be who we are culturally and still able to earn a living and still able to, you know, go into stores and, and shop without someone following us? And it's just it's, the show is putting me in a weird place, Montoya. <laughs> that's, why, that's what we do. And, and let me, let's, let's put in context a couple of things you just said, if you will. So, so in, in, at least in my opinion, in moving away, if we, if we're, cause it seems like we're all of the sentiment that we should move away from this idea of whiteness. It, it seems like that seems to be the running theme, right? And so uh, in doing so, not work, for example, using what you just said. So in doing so, let's say that we're able to do that. If we're able to do it, it means that I understand, for example, the example you just used, that I might be followed in a store. And I grew up with that context. I don't think I experienced it as much as an adult man, but definitely as a younger man, definitely experienced that. So let me, in my opinion, here's a way to put that in context. While that may be the American reality, right, that being done by others doesn't have to affect how I personally feel about myself, if you will. While that's not right, this conversation, in my opinion, would not be in the context of how they see us at all. Uh, it's very disheartening to hear the example you gave with your mother in the sense that you could not even give your natural joy, that, as you said, is a context of who we, generally speaking, who we are as a people, that that was shot down in this American white con- racial complex, if you will. Again, we both know your mother was telling you that, and she thought it was a benefit and appropriate. But the idea of it being appropriate is the issue. Mm-hmm. Appropriate meaning whiteness being the gold standard. So, in the context, and and, and if we're going to rebuild. It means becoming completely aware of that there is that there is a level of acquiescing to that standard that moves beyond, if you will, 
let let me use this as an example that moves beyond the the idea of just fitting in at a workplace, if you will. At a workplace, mm-hmm. in order to, in a sense, if if you if 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 that's the situation that you're in, whatever it requires, if you will, to ascend in a workplace based on that culture. I think it is very necessary that people do that. Where we've taken it too far is when your mother says, you just should not be that way. Because there's a time and place to laugh loud, if you will. That, that, see, that's a very big distinction, right? So if, mm-hmm. if there's a time and place, that's a different conversation than your mother, again, thinking she's helping you than her shooting down the fact that you naturally laugh loud. But you see, when, 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 when that is not the standard, you explain to your child there's a time and place. When it is the standard, you shoot down their natural joy. So I'm, again, trying to get into the context of the psychology of, in a sense, why I clearly see it as necessary to move away from that standard, if you will. We are up against the break. Uh, very interested in, uh, again, just keep the cuts are going to take us in places, but if you want to address anything, uh, Maria, from what we just said, you, you absolutely can, or we can just go with the, the next cut, if you will. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, Pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. White boy who walks in the room and is animated and moving around. So you get to school, and there's a box for you. And that box says, you rap, you're an athlete, you're slightly to highly misbehaved. You, um, you're not involved or into your education that much. You sell and or use drugs. That's the box that you're accepted in. And in order to play ball, no pun intended, that's how you interact with yourself, your own identity, and this is how you're cool. But you feel like the box that it traps you in is you feel like to be healthier, to be in a more sound mind state, to, to think and know and come from a place of foundation in your life is something that you have to be ashamed of and you have to denounce can drive you crazy. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. 
Should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Our special guest is Maria Richards, as we hear, I think, another amazing cut in the idea of being in these boxes. I've lived that out in so many ways. Uh, I'll start with the guest before I give any of my personal examples. Uh, Maria, any thoughts about what you just heard? Or, again, or you can reference anything that was said prior to the break. Go ahead, Queen. Sure. So my initial thoughts are um, it's interesting when we talk about being placed in boxes and being categorized because I find that I'm oftentimes having to remind black Americans that we are not a monolith. Um, There is this assumption that if you are a black American, you have to be Christian, you have to be democratic, um, you have to attend an HBCU, and I'm, a, I'm an HBCU graduate. I, I live by, you know, HBCUs, but um, I understand that, you know, everyone's story is not the same. Um, although we all live in this country and we know that black people are overwhelmingly oppressed in America, there are some black people who have not experienced the overt um, oppression and racism that, some of us are all too familiar with. And so it's interesting because as I listened to um, that recording, it just brought me to that particular thought, how we put each other in categories and boxes all the time. And, you know, if you dare step outside of that box or that category, you are, you know, you are literally vilified to no end. And so those are just some of my initial thoughts as I, as I listened to that. Now, let me talk about the why, and then I'll definitely get your thoughts, Latrice, the why that you're vilified. I think that gets into, again, reorienting ourselves, if you will, I'll say back to ourselves. So you're absolutely right. That's a great thought, that that we are not a monolith. Like we have to quite often remind ourselves, even within our own community, that, that one, we are not. But the why you're vilified at least in my opinion, and matter of fact, um, Latrice, give me your thoughts on, on this. The why we're vilified, in my opinion, or, or why we vilify one another, I probably should say, because I've been guilty of it in the past as well. Uh, I think I don't do it anymore, um, but you know, with the information I understand now, but definitely have been part of vilifying, if you will, or trying to fit in a box, if you will. Uh, the why we do it is, in my opinion, due to, again, that gold standard from a subconscious level. The gold standard of, okay, so when I go in these different arenas, there's a certain way, and we're kind of just talking about it, we, I must conduct myself uh, in order to navigate this area over here. So, but within our neighborhoods, that, 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 that oppression, if you will, quite often leads to, in a sense, a rejection of the majority culture to the degree that it feels like we're, in a sense, fighting for our version of us. And so we now turn around and want to make one another fit in that box for you to basically exhibit and say, yes, I am rejecting, and I'll use this term lightly here, I am rejecting the dominant culture. And so you fit in when you exhibit these certain things because we have unfortunately, for example, even the concept of being smart, we mistakenly, due to this BS construct, being smart has been, quote, unquote, a white thing. But 
that's the why, because we make the mistake, meet this gold standard, and think that's a white thing, despite the fact our ancestors have been exhibiting excellence since they have been on this earth, but since we quite often don't know that history, we now, in the construct of this American experience, now equate excellence to a color. That's the biggest BS of this construct of all. But as a monolith, we're going to be excellent and bad, like every other culture and every other race. The the, the idea that ghetto is even a, a, attached to us as African Americans, and for what I understand, the term first was referred to the Jewish community in Germany getting pushed into ghettos. And I may be incorrect on that information if that was where it was first used, but I know it was definitely applied to that, but in 2020, it only applies to black people. That is, everything I'm saying is a definite psychological response to, again, in my opinion, whiteness being the gold standard. Any thoughts, Latrice? I agree, and what comes to mind when you talk, when you brought up the intellectual aspect was the concept, the social, social psycho, psychological concept of stereotype threat. Um, and there have been tons of studies that have been done on this where if black people and white people are put into a room and are given a test, and if you say that it's to test the intellectual ability, and these are kids who score the same score range on ACT, SAT, but if you told them that this was to measure their intellectual ability, the white students had a tendency to, to score worse than the white students. But if you told them that it was, say, a problem-solving lesson or problem-solving assessment, then they scored the same. And so what's happened over time is that the, the stereotype that blacks are less intellectual has become a psychological belief system that we, we believe inherently about ourselves, and it plays itself out in those kinds of environments. And it's detrimental to us as a community of people because that thought, that thought process has a ripple-type effect on our lives as we go through work, and family, and, and all of that, it has a tremendously negative ripple effect for us. And so I think that's why it's so important that what I see happening now where we are dismissing the stereotypes and you see people, you see that there are schools that are for black children where they, they are allowed to be intellectual and it's a good thing and they understand that it's a good thing and we're not trying to compete with mainstream society. Um, I think that it goes back to the title. Do we need to reorient ourselves from whiteness? And and clearly, research even says that we should. Great point. Great point. I would love to reiterate that research. I've seen that same research. And reiterating is just saying it very clearly. That that, and I've, I've seen it on more than one occasion. That literally being to, being literally mentioned that. The test you are about to take, again, studies have been done several times in different ways, but just being told that this test or what you're being about to, what you're being tested on, tests your intellectual capability. That being told that, generally speaking, African-American children perform lesser just being told that. And Maria you know, you and I just recently, you saw, I floated, again, I think you're one of my favorite guests. And so, you know, I now have that cut that I'm floating around from one of your um, visits to the show a couple of years ago talking about speaking life into your children. And that's the cut that we're floating around. I'll put it up on 
the Mental Dialogue Facebook again for anybody out there listening. But I think that study that Latrice just mentioned and understanding how simply being told prior to a test, this is testing your intellectual capability, creates some type of anxiety subconsciously within our own children quite often, I think is a perfect segue to, in a sense, speak to that, because if we're going to reorient from this concept, we have to be aware of how easily it is ingrained into us. If you could, Queen, please speak to that. Yes, I mean, first of all, Latrice bringing up that study, man, that really, that was a, that was amazing because um, I had read about that before and I totally forgot about it. I think it's so perfect for this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I think starting with history, like I'll be honest, I grew up in a predominantly white school district in Mississippi, um, which obviously does not have the best uh, reputation as it relates to black-white relationships. And um, I really hated history growing up because the extent to which I learned anything about my history was Dr. King, who was getting, you know, brutalized. And um, I had learned of Rosa Parks and, you know, just very safe things. Right, exactly. And and I'm literally putting the word safe in, in air marks, right, like little safe history tidbits. And it wasn't until... I matriculated at Clark Atlanta University when I really fell in love with history because I was like, oh, my gosh, like, Malcolm X, like, this guy was incredible. And, like, people know I'm obsessed with Malcolm now, but it started with him, and then I started researching Black Panther Party, and then from there, W.B. Du Bois, who was actually a professor at Atlanta University. And, you know, I mean, it literally, I just went down a rabbit hole. And so now... I love history, more specifically black history, because it affirms this confidence and just this brilliance that we have. And it's not something that you see often because whiteness is so ingrained in the fabric of the world, Um, and especially here in the United States, the only imagery that we often see of black people are the poor images of us being criminals or rappers and things like that. But being, like, knowledgeable of black history has really given me a completely different perspective on black people and our capability. And so that goes into the importance of speaking um, uh, empowering words to children. In particular, every moment, every chance I get when I'm with a young person, I am always seeking to pour into them because I want them to know that they can literally do whatever they want to do. And so I just think that this is, you know, this discussion is so necessary, and I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. So thank you so much again for having me on. This is great. No, I appreciate you. You actually sparked me um, bringing a cut I hadn't thought to bring to the table. But, again, I love to reiterate major points because I often say, and, and, and for the very reasons you're talking about, most of us don't care for history. It was taught to us boring, in a boring manner, and we don't see ourselves. So why would we take interest, right? So a lot of us have found ourselves by going down that very same rabbit hole, Maria. So absolutely agree with you. My first, uh, I, I, I grew up in the South loving Dr. Martin Luther King, and I accidentally stumbled across the Martin Luther, I mean, the Malcolm X autobiography going into my eighth grade year, and it changed my life. 
uh, and, and the pride that it gave me, again, um, pretty, you know, my family loved me dearly. So I was getting the, the, you know, the love in a sense, but to, to understand and see myself and it made me angry to think about what was done or whatever. And that's always everybody's concern, right? You're going to learn the history and be angry. It's because you're learning only the tidbit that American history gives you at school, which is nothing, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. So I just want to go to a quick cut to highlight you bringing up that point from a one John Henry Clark, and we are at the top of the hour, and we're going to go to uh, support our sponsor, Square Business Entertainment, as I have a cut by Joe Blee called All Day Long. We'll come right after this cut by John Henry Clark, who speaks to the importance of history. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. Everybody perfect when I'm scrolling through my phone Ooh. Seems like all they want It's just a bunch of breaking people acting like they get it but they don't It's true What am I supposed to do? I feel like I'm overdue Worked a couple lifetimes I feel like I'm over too Feel like I got more to do I know I ain't done yet Handle what you supposed to do Gotta teach my son It's a blessing in the sunrise Wake up and return that I just hope that you can learn that Before the sun sets Cause when the morning comes The world gon' keep going on My passport. Only other thing I can ask for is love. Can't be sitting around and wishing that I had more. Always finding something to be mad for. Man, I hate my life. I wish I had yours, but it's yours. Yours, 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 yours. Yesterday I woke up out the matrix. So today it's right back to the basics. Blocking and tackling, taking angles in pursuit of my happiness and embracing my nappiness. This Wakanda forever had us under the weather. Sick and tired of the pressure. Always gotta be fresher. Always gotta be extra. Everybody is special. Social media training. If you're speaking the language all day long. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates Fine. Joe Bleezes all day long on all music streaming platforms, Pandora, YouTube Music, all of them. Find it. Great song by that 
artists as well as appreciate the sponsorship. You too can support what we're doing at mentaldialogue.com as an individual. Uh, call me directly to support the show and get your product out to the smartest audience in all of radio. This morning's discussion question, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? My special guest co-host is Patrice Ross, special guest Maria Richards. I wanted to take the opportunity to share uh, a piece uh, that that I'll be in an upcoming book of mine, if you will, that I wanted to share with you all and get your thoughts because I think it aptly applies to this morning's discussion, if you will. Let me get it pulled up. Let me get it pulled up here. All right, uh, bear with me. I just had it pulled up, and now the computer's acting up. All right. All right, maybe I won't get to share that piece. Had it pulled up. Now it's not up. All right, y'all bear with me. Again, this morning's discussion question, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Matter of fact, I'll get a couple of thoughts on a reiteration of what John Henry Clark had to say. Uh, hopefully that's a name that many of you know. If you're listeners, if you don't know that name, please find out and learn about John Henry Clark. Uh, I, would, I would consider him one of our best historians since the father of uh, black history uh, started, Carter G. Wilson. Uh, John Henry Clark is definitely someone you would want to get to know. Uh, any thoughts on Latrice? I'm looking for this piece because I definitely want to share it with you all this morning. Hello, Latrice, are you there? Um, yeah, I was on mute. I'm sorry. Um, I love listening to him speak, and I think I kind of got lost in, in what he was saying. But um, I think we're just at a point where when we see what's going on with society um, and we hear from historical figures like Mr. Clark, that we need to take heed and, and understand that it's time to think differently about how we're raising our young children to be and and really be intentional about the the what we build up in them and how we build them up. Um, I think I went, when he was talking, I went to my grandson and thinking about how my daughter is raising him. And um, I have some work to do with her on how she's raising my grandson and undoing work, undoing how I raised her because when you know better, you do better. Um, so I got some work to do. Um, no, I love lineage. that thought, Queen. No, I love that thought. Um, it looks like the, the computer's freezing up, so I may not get to share this piece. Uh, but what I'll say, in addition, I would like to even just share this because, again, as you, again, I, I, I want people to be moved. I want people to, if, if you will, I typically, in a sense, I never come to the show in a sense with an agenda, if you will, again, because we typically want to discuss things from both sides. And if you have a difference of opinion, um, please, we want to hear it as well. The number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. Um, but the one thing I will share with you is the beauty, and I think Maria might agree with this, the beauty of even getting a piece of our history when you unknowingly, if you will, been deprived of the actual history and not the safe history, as you said, that the watered-down version that we'll get in our primary education, right? And so, so there is work that should be done along the way if you, if you are, in a sense, 
whether you consider it forced or your only option is to send your child to uh, public school, if you will. There are a lot of people in our community that are now rejecting that thought and home training their children, which I'm a huge advocate for, uh, or even African-centered education, because it equips your child with, in a sense, the proper self-esteem. And it is nothing more than, than, if nothing more, to give your child the proper self-esteem in life will guide them and carry them on in their own journey much further than all other things that, that, you, that you give them or whatever. Obviously, they need to be loved properly, uh, but love properly with a, a self-esteem that doesn't help you, in a sense, navigate the world, makes you want to stay at home most of your life, if you will. And so uh, just please understanding that the images that we all understand and the propaganda that you're going to see, especially in a social media age where we see things on our phones, and so it becomes even more prevalent, in my opinion, that you become intentional about introducing heroes, superheroes, if you will, uh, um, to our children. I'll give an example, and Maria, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I try to get this computer to work. Um, but an example that I'll never forget, when I was dating this young lady in college, her son had a, um, a, a first-grade graduation of school, in particular did a first-grade graduation. It was a pretty, this was out in Denver, Colorado, relatively mixed um, school, if you will. And so for the graduation, the kids got came across they had a little cap and gown, first grade cap and gown, and they got a little, their certificate of graduation and all the kids had to say is what they wanted to be when they grow up. That's all they had to say. So they would get their thing and say, I wanna be this or whatever. And so by the end of the ceremony, uh, my girlfriend she noticed that of this mixed co- community of kids that only one black child of all the kids had said they wanted to be something other than an athlete or an entertainer. And she said while other cultures had people that wanted to be athletes and entertainers as well, but the the answers were very diverse, whether it was doctor, policeman, fireman. Those diverse answers were coming from other cultures, but consistently outside of one black child in this particular graduating class of first graders, only one black child had an answer that was other than an athlete and or an entertainer. These are first grade children and I don't say this in a sense there's no blame in me mentioning this. It's again trying to reinforce the awareness of how soon this thing starts and how we see ourselves and naturally understanding how children will want to be the things that they see that are great. And so it becomes absolutely necessary to introduce other heroes from a very young age as soon as possible to our children. Maria, any thoughts on on that in general, which I think just recaps what John Henry Clark had to say, as well as yourself. Go ahead, Queen. Sure. So um, I just, I think that, hmm, it's interesting. I almost wonder if what I'm going to say may contradict what I just said in terms of me falling in love with history after I got to know more about black history. But basically where I am with this is I think exposure is extremely important. Um, I think exposure is very important. And with that being said, um, I think also complementing exposure 
would be affirmations, right? So if you're affirming your child and you're telling them that they are capable of being whatever they want to be, I don't know as much, I don't know if it will matter as much who they're seeing in that role already when they're exposed to something. Let's say, I don't know, I'm just going to say kindergarten, you're looking at TV, you look at the president, the president is white. When you're affirming the child that they can be whatever they want to be, I don't know if it's necessary for them to also see the image of a black president, for example, to make them actually believe that. Um, and, again, I, I know that this may actually contradict what I just said in terms of my my love for history, but I'm just bringing that up because I don't have children, but I've always said that if I were to have children, every day I would have some affirmations for them um, to recite, to, to read aloud, just to get their day started because I would want them to know that they are literally capable of whatever they want to achieve in life. And so as a parent, and and now I can speak from the perspective of a mentor, one thing I'm very committed to is exposure. I'm always giving my nieces and my nephews opportunities to meet people in powerful positions, and they may still decide they want to be, you know, an athlete or something like that. That's fine. It's their choice ultimately. But I want to at least make sure I've done my part in exposing them. And so um, as I reflect on you know, what what um, Mr. Clark said, uh, what Latresa said, what you have just said, I'm just wondering how much of this has to do with a lack of exposure, um, even if people in these positions don't look like our children versus the need for imagery as well. So I don't know. I'm a little... No, let, 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 me, let, me, let me say this to you. No, no, that's a, those, are fair, those are fair questions. So what I would share with you is... Uh, what I typically say, and let me hear your thoughts on this very briefly, um, what I typically say is, as you said, until you got to Clark Atlanta, you was exposed to these safe examples, right? And so all I would simply say to you, uh, without being intentional as a parent, then you, it is unlikely that our black children will see enough of themselves. So that's kind of what mm-hmm. I'm speaking to and more so than even I'm not suggesting that every image in every position has to be us. Uh, but, again, for mm-hmm. me, to have a group of first graders only wanting to be athletes and entertainers absolutely aligns with the idea that they haven't been exposed to enough. So, again, I'm not saying every exposure needs to look like them, but we know they will mm-hmm. not see enough of them to say, I can see myself in that position. And it's not conscious. Because if it was conscious, every the other kid, you know, you understand what I'm saying? The other kids would not have more diverse aspirations. It's not as simple as it being conscious. You know, it's not that I say because I, you know, because I, you know, came across Carter G. Wilson and I love history. That's not why I'm a historian. If you, you know, you know, to a certain extent, mm-hmm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's direct, but it's subconscious. So it's more exposure to seeing our successful people in all these different arenas because we're typically in most arenas within the world. But if you never see that, then I think that's when you start getting what we were talking about earlier, the idea of you should only be in this box. You must be in these boxes because I've never mm-hmm. seen a black hockey player. Why are you playing hockey <laughs> black, you know, you know, in the neighborhood or something to that extent? This, 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 this dude play hockey, 
Like, you can only knock that if you've never seen it, if that makes sense. Just throwing it out mm-hmm. as an example. Uh, any any thoughts about, you know, in that sense, again, I just think it's, uh, uh, I think we're saying the same thing in the sense that it's more exposure, but it's just, unfortunately, in, on their own, they're not going to get enough is kind of where I think the issue is. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually do agree with that. I mean, definitely, I think, um, like you said, the lack of intentional parenting is, a, you know, that that is actually alarming. Um, and so I definitely get what you're saying. I want to give it stronger upon the point. Of course, I don't know if we have the time, but I would love to hear Latrice's thoughts, too. Oh, uh, yeah, Latrice, just jump in because I'm still trying to get this computer to work, so I can't even play okay. the brakes right now, so we're going to keep making this thing work while I'm getting the okay. computer back up. But, um but definitely, okay. yeah. um, any thoughts on that? Let me say one more, one, one more quick thought. In a, one more quick thought before you say that, and it's just again the idea of um, again enough, enough exposure. That's where the work, in my opinion, has to come, has to be at. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Quinn. I think we have to take it beyond just exposure, and we have to find people in those industries or in these other areas to have conversations with our children, to make it real for them. It's one thing to see someone online or in a book, um, but it's another to actually be able to sit down and have a conversation with a black neurosurgeon or have a conversation with a black politician or have a conversation with a black um, engineer. Um, We need to... They're exposed to sports all around. We put them in sports as kids to keep them busy. But we got to start doing more than that because that's why so many of them um, look towards that as an outlet because it seems easy to them. I'm in sports from age four on up. I'm exposed to it in middle school, in high school, in elementary school, in college. I want to be a pro athlete. I want to be a pro rapper. I want to do this. But we need to, to make the things that we, the academic, the intellectual pursuits, as easily available to them also. And that takes intentionality. It takes an immense amount of intentionality. It takes a bit of forwardness on our part um, with regard to reaching out to strangers and saying, hey, can you talk to my daughter about being an engineer? Can you talk to my son about being a neurosurgeon? Um, But I think it's that kind of intentionality, that kind of forwardness that it's going to take to move the needle where our kids can see themselves in different arenas other than entertainment and sports. It's great, and, they, you know, we see people who become millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires if they, they invest wisely. But I think that when we think about the damage from an athletic perspective that football has on the men that play it, and there was actually an article that I shared last year that talked about how black families saw this as an, as an out for poverty. Right, but right. But what's the impact mm-hmm. when it comes to the um, – the concussions and the subsequent conditions that follow. Right. So we need to look yeah, at matter of fact, let me jump back in right here real quick. Um, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. I've got the computer working. I want to kind of get us a little bit back okay. on track. A few, yeah, you know, absolutely. And then, and again, uh, bear with us, everyone. The computer went down. It happens. Uh, technology is great until it doesn't work, right? And so, um, um, so we're a little, little behind on the concept of this morning's discussion. And so, I definitely still want to share this piece because I think it keeps us in line with what we're talking about and we'll try to catch back up on the, on the show, if you will. And so I shared a piece. I don't know if you both got a chance to, to, to check it out, but just listen closely because I would be interested in um, both of your thoughts. We'll just do one thought 
a, a piece in reference to it, and then we'll just kind of keep the, the show running, if you will. So I wrote a piece that's, uh, that's dedicated to Ahmad Arbery, if you will. Uh, the piece is called Black Socrates Speaks to Different Americas. The only reason many of you still get angry over the audacity of white folks is because you refuse to accept that we still live in two different Americas. This statement isn't an indictment of all white people, but just as Muhammad Ali once said, if a bunch of snakes are coming down a hill, should I wait to see which ones are friendly? Martin Luther King was right about being judged for characteristics other than my skin. However, that was just the starting point, and the easiest place to find that starting point is among my own. There is insulation amongst my own, among my own community, although I surely will find snakes within my own as well. That is no different than any other race, but I prefer to find out about other races on an individual basis while keeping in mind the institutions of this country are not set up in my favor, especially the justice system. Hence, I limit my interactions with white people in general and only with those who exhibit sincerity in fellowship and to some degree friendship. For those still hoping for the colorblind society America has yet to achieve, my intentions of insulating myself will be deemed as wrong and in opposition to Dr. King's dreams. However, since I live in a different America, they will not understand that this position is safest for me. I do not have the privilege of being colorblind. Bernard Kinsey, the co-owner, along with his wife Shirley, of the largest collection of African-American artifacts in the U.S., believes the aim of a colorblind society was a mistake since we often fail to respect one another's differences due to our own ignorance and fear. Also, in many cases, it is inevitable to notice another's race along with whatever assumptions one may have, true or false, about that race. Therefore, it is a bold-faced lie to say, I don't see color. Instead, Kinsey suggests the goal of our American melting pot should be to become color-rich, in which we are curious about our racial differences, and that in itself would garner the respect we all desire as human beings. Again, colorblind is problematic because the effort to see each other as the same is not okay when the bar for being the same or considered an American has historically been set by whites, hence two different Americas. Since this is our country's unfortunate reality, I implore black people to no longer appeal to the psychological bar that set, sets whiteness at, as righteousness. Do not seek their empathy, and God knows do not be surprised by their audacity or their privilege or their ability to kill a black man running down their road. For blacks that disagree, you can wait at the bottom of the hill for the good stakes if you like, but as for myself, I, I'll take my chances amongst my own in a black enclave building up our community. Visitors are welcomed, but not invited. Maria, as the guest, I'll get your thoughts on that piece. Well, my initial thoughts are, you know, I definitely agree with you in terms of uh, this notion of being colorblind. I find it very dismissive, um, dismissive in the sense of the All Lives Matters <laughs> movement, um, or All Lives Matter, rather. So I, I really do, I, I read this piece um, when you sent it to me uh, last night, I believe, and, and I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, the whole... Uh, when you made the uh, analogy to the snakes uh, coming down the hill and looking and, and waiting for the good one. Um, I think now that's probably one area where I kind of pause because I consider myself a humanist as well, right? And so the humanist in me has a very hard time accepting that 
um, one particular race over the other is a certain way, generally speaking, it's very difficult for me to accept that. And so I I probably would disagree um, just with that part, but overall just your your um assertions with regard to you know our history in America and um if we look at our past and present how we are treated i mean i i don't see anything wrong with you seeking isolation um uh, within self and within your own community i mean if that's what you want to do and that is empowering for you i think that you should absolutely do that and by doing that i think it would give you a a sense of direction and also some boosted confidence with regard to the to the um um to the direction that you want to go in go in, in life moving forward, whether you choose to work with, collaborate with white people or someone else outside of the culture, I think it's best to do that when you are grounded in who you are and what your culture is. So I mean I really enjoyed the piece and I, for the most part I pretty much agree with most of what you're saying. And what you just said is the key. Insulation, not isolation, is my focus. Let me say that just to even clarify that for you. And so being grounded in yourself, it is the idea of that self-esteem that allows our next generation to navigate the world. This is is America, so I am not speaking isolation, but I am really – it's really almost a bow to your beautiful idea, your brilliant idea that you've brought to this table, the idea of remigrating back towards one another. So it's it's just growing up. In, in the sense of, uh, you know, those who've grown up with the idea of leaving the hood or getting out of the hood and have went on to be, quote, unquote, successful, it's bringing that money back to ensure that these these schools that we've always said were bad, if, if we're in them, let's improve them, have our children grow up with their esteem and go navigate the world. It's just a, ma- a matter of loving amongst one another. It's it's allowing Ahmad Artberry to run in a neighborhood where he's expected to be versus what that experience, if you will, is the opportunity of by living near one another, what it naturally creates. It creates majorities within local political Situation. So now we control the local politics. Again, there are only a couple of major metropolitan areas where we are the majority. We are typically not, and so it's a lot that can fall from insulation. I am not advocating isolation, and I even throw this out, pointed out within the piece that uh, at the end of the day, the evaluation of any group has to come on an individual level, but based on American history, there is safety to live near my own. That is the bigger point. Um, Latrice, any thoughts on it for the callers out there? You do have to press one to let us know that you want to speak on this morning's discussion. Go ahead, Latrice, any thoughts on that piece before we move on? Did I lose Latrice? Latrice, are you on mute, possibly? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you well. Can Go you ahead. Can you hear me please. now? Okay. Um, I was <laughs> I know, saying right? that I, I, I agree with the piece. Um, I think I think it's particularly when you clarify insulation versus isolation. Um, when we think about why people left the black community once it became once integration became a thing, it was because they viewed what others had, where others lived, to be better than their community, and it, it gave one a sense of success and doing well in life. And many still harbor those same feelings that if I you know, in order for me to be deemed or be viewed as a success, I need to get out of the black community, move out of the black neighborhood because the schools are bad and, 
litter and, and danger, et cetera. But I think as we begin to really begin to make our communities the way that we want them to be, the way that we know they can be, um, then I think you'll have a change. For me, I was one of those. I'm, I, I'm totally a, I'm a transparent person. I wanted to move to the suburbs because I didn't want to be in the inner city because the schools were bad and it was dangerous. Um, and now you want to buy a house in the West End, you're looking at $450,000 easy for a 1,400-square-foot house. So somebody thought the hood was worthwhile. Um, it's unfortunate that we make these realizations too late, but it's not too late for all communities. So I think it's, you know, those communities where we still are holding on that it's important that we begin to go in and I think some of the some entertainers have a an initiative where they're buying the block that we begin to pool our resources and begin to buy the block and rehab the block and make the block what we want it to be for our families. Um, because I think the Ahmad Arbery case um, highlights just how important that is. A young man exercising um, and he was shot to death. Um, it could have been my son. Um, so it's just it just highlights just how how far we are digressing back to the civil rights movement when it was not safe for black people to be alone outside of our community. Um, it's getting back it's beginning to feel that way again, unfortunately. So I'm with you. And so um, yeah, let me let me talk about that. Let me talk about that real quick before we go to the next break. Again, we're trying to catch up the show. Um, and I'll say this briefly. I wanted to get into this deeper, but again, this, again, time time goes as time goes, right? And so the idea, again, as I advocate for insulation with that piece, if you will, uh, I will even I will still even challenge again the concept, the psychological concept of where we're at in 2020. Here's a reality that's probably going to be hard to hear coming off, in a sense, the the the, Art, the Arbery shooting. Here's the concept. When you say, hey, it, it, it's feeling like it's not safe again. Well, with insulation, I've already made the case for how it helps ensure it to a certain extent. Uh, you know, to a certain extent. It's not that like we haven't had shootings in Atlanta, if you will. I live in Atlanta. So I'm, I, I, I live out this insulation that I speak of in this piece. Uh, but the, here's the, another reality that is probably going to be hard for us to accept. But, again, because I think whiteness is the gold standard and we've, we've suffered great psychological damage, as we heard Dr. DeGroote speak in the first hour. So when we see these examples, the historical trauma that gets passed down makes us make the statement that we're in this space again. Um, is a someone who loves to look at the stats, the reality is that's not happening to the degree that feels like it feels that way because we have trauma that has been pushed down to where I've seen people, even if I can mention, uh, you know, being a part of your group, Maria, the despair that was expressed, you know, as a part of the group, you know, hopefully you'll mention it if you want to share it with other people, but the despair that I saw in being a part of your networking group when we talked about the Arbery situation, that despair feels very real, but it is due to passed down genetic trauma. Because the reality is, in 1908, for example, if there was social media in 1908, our ancestors would have seen a Ahmad Artberry every day. Every day they would have seen one during the lynching period of this country's history. And, and that's not to big up improvement. It's understanding the reality of which we exist in. Again, I advocate for insulation. 
but I also want to raise the babies in, in a world in which I teach them how to navigate a police stop, if you will. Obviously, Art Berry is not a police situation, but where I teach my children how to navigate a police stop because it is, quote-unquote, two different Americas, but I want to have them navigate it without fear. And the trauma that we experience of seeing these things and the reason why you and I, Maria, won't watch a video of us being killed is because it reinforces a fear that may not be reality, if you will. So um, I hope I'm making sense with some of that. We won't get to go as in-depth as I want to. Um, Real, if you will, just make a quick thought to that, and we've got to go to another break. Sure. Um, so, I mean, honestly, both of you have really kind of uh, hit the hammer on the head, I guess, with the nail. Um yeah, I mean, I was honestly just still reflecting on what I just heard, so I don't really have any additional thoughts. I, I'm I'm literally okay. just reflecting. Well, sounds good. Well, let's go to the break. You listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. If you're on the phone line and want to get in, you do have to press 1. If you want to call in, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. You must press 1 to let us know you want to speak white boy who walks in the room and is animated and moving around and maybe even a little cheeky is smart. And isn't isn't he smart? Isn't he cheeky? He's almost looked at as, well, boys will be boys. A child of a boy of color, especially an African-American boy who walks in the room exhibiting the same behavior, walks in and says, hmm, I might need to keep an eye on him. And that, I really believe, is our internalized racism, that we are afraid of these young boys. And I'm talking young boys, four years old and above. And that instead of the teacher looking at him or herself and saying, what is going on with me, that this same behavior uh, creates fear in me instead of admiration, we pathologize the boy of color. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-hosts, Patrice Ross, as we just hear a cut from Nina Simone, the previous cut was um, a cut t- expressing 
how, in a sense, a a white teacher might view a black boy or a black or a white boy differently with the exact same attributes. Uh, I I bring that to the table just to to again, if I suggest that we insulate, is to understand again, become aware of of this standard or, and what our children are up against. It's not that we don't know that our children are up against it, but we have to be completely aware of how soon it starts and to to know that 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 is, that is a risk that 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 is possible for my child in entering a public school, that that is how the teacher might think. And here's what I mean when I say reorient from whiteness. We've spent a lifetime in a, where our goal is to teach that white teacher not to see our black child that way. That That comes from, in my opinion, the concept of being accepted in this country. We fought for it so long that our fight ends up being trying to teach that true teacher who's been raised with the same propaganda from the, 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 that we that we that when we discover a Malcolm X we finally go find ourselves right so so she's been raised with the same propaganda and now we're going to teach her as an adult not to see our black child that way like but the fight and effort to integrate if you will always tries to white people you should be this way and we insulate we less have to worry about that. The whole point I'm making is not just to do it as my piece says. It is to just think about how soon our children are up against a teacher who may see them that way and it's not even intentional. It's subconscious that, that um, what's the, what is the bias you always talk about, Latrice? I'm like, you jump in right unconscious here because you're, you're the expert. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're the expert of unconscious bias. But, you know, but in, even in more further than developing what unconscious bias is, we speak to the, the point of being aware as a community if we're going to reorient from whiteness, then the standard can't be simply she needs to see it different. We have to realize if she's not going to see it different, what is our solution then? Because I don't think we think of it from a space of just ourselves. I hope I'm making sense with that, but please jump in, Queen. Um, you are definitely making sense. And as a matter of fact, back in um, a couple of years ago, I shared an article and I kind of went on a tangent for a few weeks about the adultification of black girls. And that was a study done by the Annie Casey Foundation that talked about how girls between the ages of 5 and 14, how they're perceived by their teachers, by white people, um, that they need less nurturing, that they need less protection, that they're more independent. And this is what really got me, that they know more about adult topics, including sex, as young as five years old. Um, And it's unconscious. It's not that they go in saying, this is what I believe to be true. It's an unconscious thing that's going on in their brain because of the way this country has, has really the way that they've ingrained the belief about black people into our society. And so... People grow up, they see the media highlights, they see the the television shows, and that all feeds that unconscious belief that that makes them view black boys and girls as being more adult than they actually are. 
as seeing black boys as bigger and more menacing than they actually are and seeing black girls as more adults than they actually are, particularly when it comes to boys and sex. And this is all extremely detrimental to our kids because it creates more calls, more opportunity for them to be placed in detention more frequently, to be suspended more frequently, because they're being judged unconsciously more harshly. And so I'm in complete agreement that, you know, we can place our children in schools that are committed to raising them up, to understand their culture, and to be okay, to be excellent with who they are as a black person, then we need to do that, most definitely. Uh, very necessary. Maria, I know you can speak to this, uh, being a lover of Malcolm, because he's my hero as well, uh, but it absolutely resonated with me in his book when he talked about how his classmates expected him to understand sex, because that was my reality. Uh, probably seen some things I shouldn't have seen as a young boy and became very curious about sex at an early age, but my classmates didn't really know. They didn't know that. I did that. You know, you do that in the, in the dark, right? So it wasn't like my classmates knew that, but the assumption, just like a Malcolm was, that I knew more about sex didn't know a damn thing about it, right? But that was the assumption. So in living up to that assumption, I, I got even more curious, again, curious prior to the questions, but um, I was the, the go-to guy. I'm not making this up. In the fourth grade, they don't know shit about sex, but I was the go-to guy. Uh, and then, like, that's being real. But that expectation was placed on me, and Malcolm talked about that in his book. Uh, we'll go to the caller after you, but any thoughts briefly again and my goal is not to just talk about how you will be treated by white people it's to understand and become so aware that we look within to say what would what do we do to reorient from that like it's time for us to take that step not just talk about what happens to us in culturally dominant arenas if you will go ahead queen well, I think that in terms of what we can do, I believe one of the quickest things that we can do is definitely implore the school board to hire more educators from the community. In the same way that communities need to urge uh, police forces to hire people from within the community versus bringing Blojo from, you know, some prestige community into um, the more impoverished communities, we need to do the same thing with teachers because these are very high-touch career paths. These are individuals who um, are engaging with our people on a day-to-day basis, and so they need to be of the community. And, um, yeah, I mean, I know that you said very quickly, so those are my quick thoughts that, that come to mind. No, absolutely. I think that's perfect, um, understanding that, the system does work if we're in control of it. Again, there's this concept that it does not work, but typically we're not in control of those systems. Uh, we got a caller that wants to get in. Area code 301, last three, six, nine, seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. This is Marilyn Audoyan calling from the Washington, D.C. area. And, um, hey, how you doing, Marilyn? Um, Thank you so much for getting in with us this morning. Go ahead, Queen. Um, I'm excited. This is a great, you know, um, this is definitely my wheelhouse. I, um, I, I came in a little bit late, but everything you say so far, um, I've listened to, and um, I think this is a really, really important topic, especially your piece. I think we may have a bad connection. I hate to do this to you, but I want people to hear what you're saying. Can you call right back in and use some fixes of the connection? Let me see. I may have been. I was. Okay, no, you sound good now. Yeah, whatever you're doing now is different. So, yeah, go ahead and speak. Yeah, yeah, big difference, whatever you're doing now. Okay, go ahead, Queen. Okay. 
awesome. So um, basically I was just agreeing with you, your piece that you wrote that you read a little bit earlier about the need for, um, you know, being very intentional about ensconcing our children and um, their own, and, and honestly, just blackness and their Africanness. I personally believe that the first eight to 10 years of a child's life, that they should be surrounded almost to the point of being totally exclusive um, by blackness um, in order to first cement, solidify their sense of esteem for who they are and who their people are and their history and everything else. And then um, for the sense of the idea, I should say, of integrating them into other spaces and with other people should come later on when they have a firmer sense of self. And I think we do our children a great disservice by putting them into a system that um, really, you know, wasn't meant for them, for their success, first and foremost, and then expecting for for them to be able to get anything. Um, they may get something useful to be able to operate within the um, paradigm of the dominant culture, but for their own sense of personal and cultural esteem, they gain very little in those spaces. And going back to what I heard um, in one of the pieces that you played about how teachers view black children, especially black boys, I can speak from experience. I pulled my son out of public school um, around the age of five because of the exact same experience where he came into a classroom and he was just as rambunctious and, um, you know, he was in actually quite a bit ahead of the other students in the class, but they actually were encouraging me or trying to push me to hold him back so that, you know, he wouldn't be oh, so wow. far ahead of the other students. And everything that he did, you know, wasn't wow. much different from what the other little boys were doing. He was being, you know, picked on constantly. And so just uh, that was the only way that I could think of to um, to save him, essentially, because in a very short time frame, you know, he this was kindergarten in a very short time, he went from being this really, you know, super energetic and confident, you know, little boy, and when he was, you know, had, like, I saw his self-esteem just, self-esteem just plummet, you know, he questioned himself all the time, he would ask me if I thought he looked stupid, you know, because teachers wow. <laughs> were saying that to him when he would do certain things. And, you know, and I just couldn't let that be. And that is the experience that so many of our children, particularly our boys, once again, go through. Uh, because there's no changing. There's nothing that we can do from the outside to change the perception that these teachers and the, you know, dominant culture has about our children. And the only thing that we can do is to protect them from it. Um it's like John Henry Clark, he played that piece from him. He talks about that the African, the black person, we don't have any friends, you know, and we can't have the expectation that we can go into a system that was intentionally made to press us and then ask them for things to help us be more successful. You know, um, we have to take that into our own hands. Black children, if you read um, things by books by Dr. Amos Wilson, um, the psychological development um, of the black child, um, that's, you know, he speaks extensively on that. Black children have a completely different set of needs 
and experiences that the schools or anything from the dominant culture cannot meet, it cannot be met by um, white standards. And um, just by putting them in that space, we teach our children, we teach them white superiority just by putting them in those spaces because the messaging is everywhere. You know, the books that they receive, the history that they're taught, the images that are everywhere, even just the television that we play, you know, that's a big part of indoctrination against ourselves. And it's, it starts so early because we put them in the system so early that they aren't even, that we aren't even um, aware of it most of the time until it has until it has, um, well, we, become, here's what we do, Marilyn. Yeah. And I got, and I got mm-hmm. to get another caller out there, but I'm, I wanted you to get all your uh, thoughts out because you're saying, no, no, you're good because you're sharing things that people need to hear. But I'll even say this to you just to even put what you said in context because we spend our adult lives having learned it that way, right? So we spend our adult yeah. lives arguing between that standard subconsciously. You know what I mean? Where you're yeah. like, where you're absolutely exactly. committed to the next generation and the need to pull them out of that propaganda that starts from such an early age. Well, as adults, when we're trying to figure out what black people should or should not do, quite often we're arguing from a standard that we were indoctrinated with on what we should and should not be doing. So this is, again, the idea of should we reorient ourselves from whiteness is first becoming into a realization, because I don't think anybody listening to you could disagree with you, but it's also being aware of the fact that we grew up in that indoctrination. So we have to become aware of it, and it, which it become, becoming aware of it makes you make a decision you made, pull your five-year-old mm-hmm. out of that class that was killing his self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the call. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you very much, Queen. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll go to a quick break, and we'll get to the caller coming out of the break and closing thoughts as we try to catch up from this um, technical difficulty we had earlier. I will say that uh, your man um, Joe Biden got a pass during that technical break. We was going to eat his ass alive, but I don't have time to bring him up now. Welcome to – we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. The Money Motivation brand – currently exists it's a, it's a success in lifestyle clothing brand uh primarily and it was created uh, because we saw the demand and it was created in 2017 and we saw the demand for uh the self-made modern entrepreneur business leader high achiever um there was a gap in a prominent streetwear brand that really embodied their journey so i wanted to take that concept and create a clothing brand that can embody that with a mission that's very simple, which was to inspire a life of excellence and freedom, uh, to promote independent thinking, hard work, taking risks, uh, having a relentless commitment to what you do and a uh, never-giving-up type attitude. Those are all hallmarks of, hallmarks of the brand. And the product line consists of premium T-shirts, outerwear, headwear, accessories, canvas prints, and the like. But there's also a media aspect to this, which dovetails into this podcast actually being created where I really want to help people be successful in business and build businesses and wealth and be able to enjoy it while they're here as well as build it for future generations. But it's about being able to live a life of autonomy, and that's been a big part of my motivation to be uh, in the financial industry and also have a brand that can represent that. So the hope is this can influence people to think differently just hear the words from Mark Ranger, the CEO of Money Motivation. I am proud to announce the Money Motivation podcast here on the Mental Dialogue platform. Go back and find us on all of the podcast 
platforms, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, look us up. You can also find the Money Motivation Podcast. We just did episode five last week. Um, it's basically me talking to black millionaires. Amazing conversations. Definitely, as, as, as we say on that show, stop chasing the bag, but learn how to attract the bag. So highly, highly recommend that people go find those shows on the Mental Dialogue platform. Um, if you have a product or service you would like to get out and get promoted to the smartest audience in all of radio, please contact me directly at 404-604-9477. We'd love to get your support as an individual. Please go to mentaldialogue.com and find out how you can be a supporter of the Mental Dialogue radio show. This morning's discussion question, should black people reorient themselves from whiteness? Special guest co-host Latrice Ross as well as special guest Maria Richards. Don't have a lot of time left. Let's get to this caller, and I'll get closing thoughts from both of our special guests. Area code five zero two last three two eight three. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Montoya, what's going on? It's Brand House. How are you? Hey, B Fun, what you got for us, King? Thanks for calling in. What you got? Yeah, thanks for the input from your uh, guest, and even on your last caller, I, when you think about what she said on the on the surface, you say that's that's outrageous. You know, take keep kids in an isolated environment like that for uh, eight years or whatever, but. It's not a novel concept. You see a lot of coaches doing the same thing, uh, coaches, dads uh, that will hold their kids out of school uh, before kindergarten and first grade so that they gain one more year of, uh, of confidence, one more year of life experience, and they go in bigger than the other kids, a little, little, little uh, more engaged and savvy mm-hmm. about the world. And that would, that's similar to, I think, what, what the last caller was saying. So while it seems novel because we throw black on it, anything can when you do it like that. Um, it, it's something that's in practice now, you know, in a, in a different form. Um, the Jewish community, and, typically, if, if they have their way, just to throw it out real quick, uh, they will basically teach their children through the eighth grade and allow, allow them to enter a public school at, in high school, if, 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 you know, when they have things their way. So they do that as well. Right. Throw it out. Go ahead. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, and that's, and that's how it's done here in the Catholic community, too. But um, it, to the larger point, it, the the title of your your um, episode today, um, moving away from whiteness, you know, and we're talking about it in a uh, enclosed environment of the black community. But I think about the broader uh, reception of what you're saying, and and I think of it if I could rephrase it and, and not take away from it, but um, what are we moving to? And we always say that when we say we're moving from something, you got to be moving to something because mm-hmm. how do we define what is whiteness? If I went to my, my barber, you know, he would say, and I complained about not getting in on the scheduled time that I had on my calendar. He said, you want that? You go to Great Clips. You're like, wait a minute. I got to go to the white barbershop to uh, mm-hmm. get in on time. You know, no, we're talking about redefining mm-hmm. success and not associating it with just white. Exactly. You know what I mean? Success Love can it. stand on its own, and we can achieve that. Um, and while uh, while we can have the isolated environment like you're talking about, I think it, it's important that um, that we are creating that same message and that same uh, reorientation for uh, the masses, the the superior community or the white community, whatever y'all want to call it, um, just as as somebody mentioned on here, 
our kids are going into white schools. And one of the things I talked about when working in the schools was we want black teachers at the front of the classroom. Uh, we want integrated in the front and the back of the classroom in our honors classes. But it's going to take a long time to get there. In the meantime, our white teachers have to be able to be professionally professionally developed into understanding um, cultural diversity, uh, uh, restorative discipline, and things like that. So while we're in isolation, we got we have to. Uh, I think there's a broader uh, aspect to this where you can. Uh, speak to educating the the masses and uh, and integrated audience as well. Now, thank you for the thoughts. What I'll simply say, and again, it's just, and again, thank you. For, and I mean, the best thing that I love about what you said is, and this is part of what, in my opinion, what real origin from whiteness means. And you said it already. and I'm going to reiterate it is to not even associate excellence with that. Like that's a part of being able to reorient ourselves from that concept. Right, you know what I mean? Like you said, that should not be the comeback. Go to great clips. <laughs> that 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 should not be the comeback. But we, it is the comeback because we are so oriented towards white that we associate excellence and certain things with whiteness that have nothing to do with it. Because we have excellence in our own community, and we should be able to look to ourselves. And the recommendation should be go to this other black barbershop who I know keep their appointments on time. Like it's literally that's what it should be. <laughs> right. It's not that way. Exactly. It's not that way because we are so reori we are so oriented to the psychological damage and trauma of white being good and black being bad, then that's why we make that mistake. But if we get reoriented to it back to ourselves, then excellence and standards become normal for our community. So thank you for those thoughts. And the one thing I'll share in isolate, again, I am talking about insulation, which is very different than isolation. Um, historically, whole societies have died in isolation, whether geographically or by choice. So I am not recommending isolation whatsoever. I'm just talking about the natural insulation of us remigrating back together. And I don't have to worry about teaching a, a, a teacher diversity if most, you know, most of the teachers are black in my community because we're the only ones that live there. Again, I'm not shooting for isolation. I am talking about insulation. It's no different than someone coming from another country raised in their own country for 30 years of their life and being able to navigate another country. I want our children to be able to navigate. We are a global world. We must navigate. Isolation is not what I'm advocating for. I do want to make that clear. Thanks a lot for your thoughts. And I and I, I apologize for that. That is the word I'm No, 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 no. I'm glad you know. It's so, not, nothing to apologize yeah, I, for. It's um yeah. I'm, no, I'm glad that you because others may receive it their way. So I want to I'm glad that right, you, right. you know said, said it so that we can clar so that I at least to give me a chance to clarify. But we are up against yeah. the last couple of minutes, so I'm gonna give both of my guests an opportunity to uh basically give a quick thought and close us out, and I'm going to close us out with a, some thoughts from Martin Luther King and a very special presentation as the show closes. So, um, Maria, if you will, thank you so much, Queen. You've been excellent. Let people know how they can stay in contact with you and appreciate you for helping us navigate this very important mental dialogue show. Thank you, Queen. Go ahead. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Montoya, for inviting me on. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. And um, if anyone wants to contact me, I would like to encourage you to please visit www.theblackinvestor.com. Again, that's theblackinvestor.com, and enter your contact information. We are going to launch in June of 2020, so literally just in about a week or so. 
Um, and just in terms of closing thoughts, uh, kind of like the gentleman who just hung up, I think I mistakenly also said isolation. And so I just want to, uh, you know, say thank you for correcting me on that. I am in, in lockstep agreement with you in terms of insulation. And, again, I just want to encourage everyone to please speak life into children, um, specifically our children, because we know that they have an uphill battle, and we need to make sure that they are um, prepared and they have the armor, and that armor is going to start with their mind. Um, they have to have a strong mind, and they have to have the fortitude to get out here and speak up and express themselves and get things done. So, again, Montoya, thank you so much, and Latrice, thank you both so much for allowing me to be on today. No, absolutely. Latrice, we only got 10 seconds, so I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. People keep listening okay. for the MLK cut that we're going to close the show with. Thank you all. See you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. Come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No. Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black. Ugly and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. You so black. You so black. When you smile, the stars come out. You so black when you go Black is not. Black when it's wrong and black when it's right. Black is pyramids and mathematics. Black is melanized and magic. Black is televised and in need of drastic black advancement. Black enhances black with chances. Black with privilege. Black with pride. Black on purpose on the black hand side. Black and beautiful. 
black and blessed and highly favored, praise the Lord, black and blessed, black and so much more, black and nothing less, black and educated, black is brilliant, black is strong, black is resilient, black is song, black is infinite, like hip-hop or space. Black is grace. Black is love. Black makes babies. Black babies grow up. Black is tough. Black is hard to do. Black is me. Black is you. Black is not something we get to choose, but it is something we get to cherish. It's something we get to wear and we get to rock this with honor. I'm black like my granddaddy and my great, 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 great grandma. Black is that lift every voice and sing. Black is that letting your freedom ring and resound. Black is adjective, adverb, color, and noun. You so black. Ooh, you so black when you smile. The stars come out. Baby, you so black when you're born, the God come 